Hello, and welcome to this episode of Instacast. Alright, it's Phil once again. This week I am not alone, I am joined by my wonderful friend George. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, how are you? I'm very, very well. So, uh, good. I believe you're not a particular connoisseur of horror films. Well, absolutely not, which is ironic, <laughs> uh, because I've just finished a degree in media and performance. <laughs> so... Uh, you're missing out on the best cinema there is which is horror well, films it's interesting because horror films have always uh, I don't know, never really tickled my fancy I don't think, based on the fact that you know, I think, let's say the cliche thing of that I think a lot of them are quite predictable yeah um, and it's very rare that I find like a film, like let alone a horror film that uh, uh, there's that level of retention that makes me kind of want to watch it and go like I already yeah. it's going to end. I'm only 25 minutes in. Oh. Yeah, it, it definitely depends on what the film is. I think how many installments into the franchise you are, <laughs> depending on some <laughs> horror films. Uh, yeah. like when you get to Jason X, uh, they, they really got to pull out something new <laughs> to keep yeah. people interesting. But, uh, yeah, this isn't a, Jason stuff's funny. I yeah. The, the, the way that it's kind of like, oh, what can we do next? Oh, it, it's kind of, I guess, not horror, but it's like the Fast and Furious franchise, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you get to the 10th film and you're going like, okay, guys, space. And I was like, oh, yeah, good idea, good idea. We'll go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fans will love it. The fans will love it. And everyone comes out of the cinema going like, the fuck was that? <laughs> they'd, be a, they'd be racing in DeLoreans next. Just <laughs> yeah, That's it. I mean, it, the one thing about horror films, though, is that like, they own how deep they're into it right it's like they don't try and rebrand they don't try and uh sort of pretend that the previous films didn't exist aside from like the new films like the new halloween stuff um usually like in the old days it's like yeah we know that this is friday the 13th part 12 (laughs) we know that there's been 12 films already (laughs) but here it is it's 12 what's a 13th (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't try and hide it it's just like you know it's probably bad, but it's here. I love that. I love that. Though. I think that you know what. Well, there's nothing wrong with being honest and just owning it. Absolutely. So this week, we've got a pretty exciting film. I think um, one that I put to you because it's easy to watch because it's on Netflix, mm-hmm. and two because it, it's actually really, I think, a nice gateway into horror because it's it's got a bit of creep factor to it. But it's not uh, jump scares. There's there's some layers to what's going on. Uh, so we're looking at 1408, uh, which was released on the 22nd of June 2007. Uh, of course, I think it's a Stephen King, uh, Stephen King adaptation, which is uh, always a good thing. Because to be fair, most of his adaptations have been pretty good. You could argue maybe not the most recent Pet Cemetery, but um, you probably haven't yeah. seen that, so you can't really like. I've seen the trailers and I remember seeing it and going like, that's a Stephen King adaptation? Yeah. Watch the original. I don't think I'm going to watch that one. Yeah. So did you have um, any expectations going into this film, what it was going to be like, or did you just sort of uh, roll it? I didn't have any huge expectations. I took in the general horror, the kind of like, mm, when am I going to first see like the, the cliche thing that I... Go like, oh, knew that was coming, or oh, knew that was coming, or hey, but but actually, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, in a nutshell, uh, mm-hmm. with the whole film, it was, it was, uh, you know, like it says, it, it is like a psychological thriller, yeah. Um, as opposed to that kind of like, let's scare the audience with jump scares every two minutes on offbeat music, and it's kind of like, yeah, that was really nice and that was refreshing because I think too many films get released today where. We follow that standard format, you know, the, the framework that is like, oh, the the who done it kind of thing. It's like oh, yeah. we meet the we meet first uh, the first victim, and then we go meet three of the victims, and it turns out it's the first victim, <laughs> and it's kind of like, Ugh. but no, this was this was really um, different, Good. and it's it was it was nice because I think a lot of the time people say, oh, two thousand and seven, God, it's not going to have all the good stuff, mm. but. I think the good thing to remember is that in 2007, because you know we we didn't have a lot of the stuff we have today in regards to um, visual effects and you know, mm-hmm. CGI modeling and your weird big monsters and your Stranger Things kind of uh, scale. Yeah. That 
there is a bigger focus on story and there mm-hmm. is a bigger focus on character. Um, and I love that. I think it's great because they don't interrupt or they don't introduce tons and tons of characters. It's not kind of like your Friday the 13th thing where we've got like six or seven group members and yeah. you, know, you have to try and get on with all of them. And as, as an audience, we are uh, like, oh, who's that again? Her name? Oh, no. No, that's her name. Oh, go, go. Ooh, who's who? Yeah. This is great. Have, we get one, one guy, Mike Enslin, who we follow through. Um, with Samuel L. Jackson, who, who plays a really nice part in it, but I, mm. I wouldn't think he's got a huge part. No, he doesn't. But he, that's, that's nice. It's not huge, but it is one, I think, of the most important parts in the film. Because I, I think now watching Bank, uh, it's, it's a while since I've watched this, but obviously I watched it recently, and I, I just thought that you needed someone like Samuel Jackson to play a the seriousness of the situation. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. what he's essentially doing is he is not only kind of sort of he's not only like kind of portraying a certain thing to Mike, but also he's trying to sell the ticket to the audience. It's like, yeah, you know, you really don't want to go in this room. You really don't want to see what's on the other side. And he kind of takes away some of the whimsical element that you could get from that kind of thing and, and he, he he's so super serious and you actually start to believe him and he thinks oh maybe i shouldn't actually like go in this room um yeah it's it, it is sold really nicely because i think hmm. that this film could have been hit or miss i think it, i think it's two ends of the scale it could have been your cliche like scary room don't go in everyone that goes in dies hmm. um because there's a ghost no it there's there's more to it than that and the lead up to it because it must be it must be kind of like 20 30 minutes before we even get to the room itself yeah. which i really like it's not kind of like we walk past it and we see that oh there's a there's a scary room there like menacing dutch <laughs> angle on the camera and no it's really the room's like really underplayed until we meet samuel jackson yeah absolutely and so it, it yeah, so obviously with some context, Mike, uh, I guess he's a skeptic. He's an author. He writes books about ghosts and haunted places, um, but he actually doesn't really believe in the paranormal, and he is almost searching for truth. So uh, his daughter dies, and he's sort of searching for this proof of the paranormal that it exists, potentially to, you know, make himself feel better. And it's kind of an interesting thing because I do see this quite a lot with some places like old pubs and, and old like buildings. Like, there's always a ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah. always very convenient around Halloween that they start talking about their ghost stories uh, because they yeah. want to sell tickets. And it's it's funny to see that that's something that you can capture and put in a plot and, and make it make sense because, you know, most people just think like it's just a pub you know it's it's just like whatever it's just a hotel um but this film like takes that and kind of puts it on its head because the one place that doesn't have the big notorious ghost story turns out to be the place that you really don't want to go to i think it's kind of cool yeah my i think my favorite part is that at the start of the film they 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 take the mick out of the genre is very mm-hmm. like self-referential in that mm-hmm. sense that we've just spoken about where where he firstly visits like a, a, a hotel that isn't the one with room 1408 in it it's just kind of like a oh we've got a scary hotel stuff happens here all the time you know <laughs> and he goes and nothing happens and yeah. i think that's that's wonderful oh yeah i think as well like i think it kind of comes down to the people who want to buy in something anyway like i think mm-hmm. a vaguely creepy looking room will be enough for a lot of people you know if an old building starts creaking they think oh my god like this was worth every penny that i spent um but obviously he sat like it's almost like he's psychoanalyzing the room even though it's just a room but when it comes yeah. to 1408 he's psychoanalyzing psychoanalyzing a room that is psychoanalyzing him back it's like it's a crazy spin um mm. It's great because I think rather than um, the whole I'm going into a scary room and there's something in it, like a lot of stuff is, you know, there's like a monster or there's like a girl in a white dress with long hair. 
or there's someone that runs around on the ceiling, mm-hmm. it is almost like the room is characterized. Mm. And it's it, it's like, it's so weird in a way that the room is a character on its own with zero dialogue. Yeah. And, but you completely understand the feeling of it and you completely understand like how the throughout the whole thing, like the, there's like a power shift and you kind of get to the end of it and you realize that, you know, the power was always like within the room. Yeah, it was always in control. It kind of gives me a feeling as well of like, um, sort of. I guess you'd kind of see this more in like stage performance, but you know, there's always like kind of like those things in like GCC drama where it's like this is that one person performance, and it's like, oh, you know, you do what I mean, and like that person that's trying to get like A stars will just try and like, you know, prove that they're Oscar worthy. It's kind of it's kind of like that, but like with a really big budget, you know, it's it's just one guy's character story so everything is relying on mike to sell it to the audience and obviously he's played by john kusak who does a really good job you know he he makes it believable because he's so sort of like he's so matter of fact about everything he's not playing into the superstition every moment that things start to escalate he's always trying to rationalize it and yeah it's good it keeps the the levity there it stops it from going too out of control yeah into that kind of the kind of area of like i'm just scared like i'm just i'm just a person in a room and that person is scared absolutely it's that constant like 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 we said before it's a psychological thriller not only for the audience but for the character involved like mm-hmm. it's this person that's constantly, you know, am I saying, am I, am I where I'm seeing, um, or or am I not? And and I don't know. Do we give we we, I, we give we can talk about the whole thing, right? It's like spoilers. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay, because I think it's I, I've always been open on spoilers, so go for it. Okay, brilliant. It's nice. It's like it has a really nice ramp up because it does start off as um, Samuel L. Jackson selling you the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. Which for me, you know, as someone that likes to watch a lot of horror, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued now. I want to know why because he explains that there are loads and loads of deaths in the room in various ways, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few of them self-inflicted, or all of them self-inflicted, and yeah. um, and that is kind of like, how does how does that form of of somebody dying, um, approach a man who seems so very logical, so very down to earth? Um, you know, he's got his dick he's got his like dictaphone, um, making notes and rationalizing everything like we said. How is how is that gonna tie in? And how is that gonna destroy a person that is so logical? Um, yeah. The the room as well feels very like creepy pasta to me. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how popular creepypastas were like in the early two thousands, but like these days, like a room like fourteen oh eight would be on every YouTube compilation. <laughs> Of creepypastas yeah, from Reddit, like, like an SCP or something. <laughs> Literally, um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of cool in that sense because it means it's very um transferable between like different mediums and stuff. And obviously, I think the film has a little bit of uh, camp to it—not not too much, but like it is. It does feel like it's a performance film as opposed to straight up like you know, it's not like a noir do you know what I mean it's not like super serious and gritty yeah. um it, it's got a solid sort of premise in the sense like it, it feels real it feels rational we're trying to make sense of the situation but also some things are just kind of almost I mean I don't know if you know that have you ever seen Evil Dead no <laughs> okay for, for anyone else kind of gives you some <laughs> kind of gives some evil dead vibes you know it kind of like um being taunted by the house being taunted by like you know spirits or demons or like whatever you know what i mean and it's all about a guy just reacting to like crazy scenarios that are happening to him um when did you feel like when did you feel like watching this that the film was starting to take a turn like it was it was starting to go off to loose ends a little bit. I think 
that the, the the first thing I noticed was so after studying um, films and stuff, it, it nearly spoils it for you in the sense that you uh, so someone like me who I, I my dissertation was on visual effects, so um, as someone who is very used to kind of like um, deconstructing scenes mm-hmm. and um, working out like oh so they did that like this they did that like this. Um, there's an element of that that is very sad because it does uh, destroy your immersion. Um, yeah. But with something like this, because we don't have, you know, your CGI, 15-minute CGI clusterfuck of, like, Endgame, um, it's really nice to see because it means I can watch it and I can I can look at it on a, on a story front. And mm-hmm. I would say that at that point was Mike goes upstairs to the room and he's he does, he does I think he does, like, a lap. And he gets back to the elevator and it's this really nice like side shot of him and the elevator opens and, and it's almost like that kind of like, this is your last chance. Yeah. Like, step into the elevator now or, or keep going. It, it feels very Final Destination. That It's very like, yeah. this is the yeah, last yeah. stop. Are you sure you want to <laughs> carry on? Sure you want to go into this room? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then from from there, that was that was nice. We get into the room and... Of course, I think it, it was expected that the room was the first. His first um, kind of view in the room is going to be, "Oh, it's normal. Mm. It's just the room." And then it slowly starts to ramp up. You know, stuff starts happening. And I think the the biggest thing that was a bit like, "Whoa!" I wasn't expecting him to get his like fingers shut in the window. Oh yeah. Like a, oh jeez. Like, okay, it's gonna hurt that as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think uh, as someone who's quite logical. Watching something like that, it's like, okay, well, that could have easily been done like this, or like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if that was me, like it might have been the wind. It might have just been like a faulty, a faulty window. Or, but when stuff like the bathroom starts to like go crazy, and we get mm. to like sub-zero temperatures on the thermostat. Yeah. Um, and I, I also love the way that anyone that's kind of like invited to the room, or like it's weird because everybody knows about the room in the mm. hotel. Uh, but it's never. A, big deal to them they just go like no no no, i'm not going in there yeah if that was me and i was working in the hotel i'd be like i'm, I'm working here this is weird what if there's like more than one room like that it, it's kind of funny right because kind of like on a side note it kind of reminds me i, I don't remember if this was like a creepy pasta thing or something but i'm sure there was something very similar with like this hotel that exists in america that was like kind of legit where like they never advertised it to the public and there were rooms that you could rent, but they went on the website, and it's like super like weird, creepy rooms. And I don't know if it's just inspired by this, but like, you know, maybe this stuff like happens in real life. You never know. Um, Surely it comes from somewhere. Well, yeah. it comes from somewhere. Right, Stephen King's got a crazy imagination, but Stephen King must have had a lot happen to him. <laughs> yeah. He must have been to a lot of hotels. How did you feel like when um, the alarm clock turned into a timer? Yeah, sixty minutes. That was nice. I mean, like from like a plot point of view, there, there's always, always like anything you watch, there's always something that puts uh, pressure, yeah, on your like protagonist. There's always some kind of countdown, or there's always some kind of like got to be here by this time, or or like someone's coming, or whatever it is. There's always that pressure. So that's nice because that kept it, um, though it was very open and we, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I knew that that timer was still ticking down and I knew yeah. that something was going to happen, but it was making me wait. And I really like that because I think when you get a room like this, you, it's endless. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. absolutely infinite what you can do um, in regards to, you know, <laughs> having ceilings fall down or, or like having wardrobes explode and uh, stuff like that, you know, what could happen to Mike? We don't know, but whatever is going to happen, is going to happen in that time frame. Um, yeah. And nice. Cause it stopped it going kind of like, when's it going to end? You know? Yeah. I think that's absolutely spot on. I think there's a real risk to this where the film can, yeah, like become completely endless. It does create a very good pressure. It does condense the plot a little bit where you feel like this has to come to some conclusion no matter how crazy it's getting and you know usually times within films is kind of a dodgy one because like 
really like in a lot of films like 10 seconds is actually like two minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what? that's hilarious because i was watching it and there there is a point when the timer gets to like very at the bottom i was sitting there counting no it's good mm, your time's <laughs> up bro mike your time is done and we are still here what do you mean it's only been three seconds on the clock it's been a minute and a half <laughs> literally do that in everything it's so bad that that yeah. you can understand like it is a necessity to kind of like generate that tension yeah it builds up drama for sure i think you know maybe in the early 2000s people were kind of not so uh, insensitive to it but like these days like you know i think people generally do start looking at the watch a lot of the time when there's a massive timer clocking down um but yeah. really interestingly in this film i think probably something you don't see in other films often is when the clock hits zero, it resets. And yeah. that's just, <laughs> that is just like terrifying because it makes you think, at least I'm thinking in like, is it him getting another hour or is he resetting the exact same hour? So like by the end of it, is he only in there for an hour? Um, and that means like within that room, time just like doesn't exist. That's like a really freaky concept. Yeah. I mean, the idea of it resetting was quite refreshing, mm. in the sense that it kind of goes like it was the it was like the anticlimactic climax, yeah. Where you think like you know like three, two, one, fifty nine, fifty nine, and it's like, wait, what? And then it kind of slowly sets into you that like he's never leaving this room. This is it. You're living it over and over and over again until. The room wins because that—that's it. it. There is no. The option is you live your entire life in that room, yeah, or you let the room win. And it, it's kind of great as well because there's this whole thing now where like the room becomes very mask off. So there's a really cool like uh, difference between when he first made a phone call to the front desk to leave, and he sort of gets um reassured like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll check you out, uh, and then no one comes, and then. Sort of the second time he sort of answers the phone or like has a conversation with the person on the desk, it's kind of like, oh yeah, we can fast track you out with our like fast track service, and it's like this noose. <laughs> yeah, it's not the, the metaphoric kind of like, oh yeah, the, your fast the fast track service is great, and it's kind of like, yeah, that's just you killing yourself. <laughs> yeah, and then like so... towards towards the end, the third one was like, you know, basically them sort of saying like. Do you really want to go through this all again? And it's it's kind of cool because yeah. like that's when the room starts to get a personality and it's sort of fed through this really like customer service friendly <laughs> woman. <laughs> 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 and it's just like, oh man, I bet I bet a lot of people probably feel like that if they work in a hotel. Like, <laughs> do you want me to check you out right now? <laughs> because like I will. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, the interesting parts of it was when they decided um, to put him into the ventilation. Because yeah. we are obviously set in this room um, for, for the vast majority of the film. Um, but to see like our protagonist like, try and escape, yeah. I think is really nice. Rather than just like being locked in the room, stuff happens to you, you die. It's kind of like, no, like we said before, it's like two personalities fighting against each other. Um, and him like making that attempt to to crawl through the ventilation and get out, only to fall back into the same room. Yeah. Is great. Like, I love it. I love it. It is it, it, that kind of like, there is no winning. Like, yeah. you've, you've walked into the room, you've already lost. Even just um, like, um, finding out that the woman next door with the baby is just like, not there. Um, yeah. Like that's super creepy, and if I'm not mistaken as well, like wasn't wasn't the whole baby thing like uh, another ghost? I can't remember. Yes. So that's kind of dark, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was the baby um, crying in the room next door, and th there's a part where he's like banging on the wall, saying like, I don't know if he's like asking her to like help him out, like get me out of here, or or if he's saying like, yeah, Leave. I don't remember. Um, he, he was trying to get help because. Yeah. Obviously, he broke the key so he couldn't get out. And then, of course, yeah. The room won't let him out with the front desk. So, to find out that the woman next door actually just isn't there, like, super, super grim. Um, 
so as well, like a big thing that kind of underpins the story, I guess in a way, is his searching for like life beyond death. And the film does quite a good job of teasing his daughter throughout the film. And we kind of get this sort of, I guess, ambiguous nature on if it's actually his daughter or if it is the room playing with him and using this as a motivation to kill himself so that he can join her again. Yeah. Is it one big metaphor? Is it one kind of... Yeah. Are we in the room or are we inside his head? Yeah, absolutely. In the sense that he's trying to find something and there is no answer for it. For sure. And it makes you wonder if, essentially, if he's coming to the realization that he's never going to find the answers in this life. (laughs) And this is kind of maybe where the room is starting to win, just even tempting him into thinking like, oh, the best way to do this is to kill yourself and and see see if you do get reunited and stuff. Uh, It's kind of bizarre as well because the film doesn't really prey into too many religious themes. So it doesn't actually. It it doesn't really... uh, Yeah. A lot of the time you do have that. You have like you have your nun, or you have like a cross above a bed that's like mm. spinning around, and and you know that that's always always like a, a religion is a huge thing in horror films, isn't it? He, he did pick up the Bible. That was um that was a part of it, it. yeah. And he burned the Bible mm-hmm. to keep himself warm. And that's that's super interesting as well because that's like, a statement. <laughs> it, it is a statement. I mean, maybe uh, kind of like dissecting that then, like. Do you reckon it could be the case that even in that moment, despite... I mean, at this point, he's been potentially fronted with indisputable evidence that there's something paranormal going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's. I think at that point, he is lying down in an ice-frozen room, and he's like, no, I'm going to bend the Bible. Nope. Th- nope. It's just chilly. I'll get a jumper. <laughs> yeah. Like... I hope you go on. <laughs> it, is, it is really interesting, I think, because the biggest thing is kind of like the the parallel um, development of, um, I'm going to say the, the two characters in mm-hmm. the sense of one being Mike and one being the room. Mm-hmm. Because from the kind of reflections in the room, we see the way that people have died before very much uh, in a non-testing way for the room. The room has always kind of like in, uh, the room's always kind of won in the same way that you have to squash a fly. Like the likelihood yeah. is you're probably gonna get it. Like, it, and it's not really a problem for you mm. until like until our boy Mike comes in, our kid. Mike <laughs> comes in and he's really, really pushing the boundaries of this room. And I think mm. what we see is we see like when they both walk in, he's a perfectly sound guy, and that's a perfectly sound room. And towards the end of it. Like, he is completely destroyed, and so is the room, like, physically. Like, the whole room, like, blows Mm. up, and and we see walls and ceilings collapse, and and there's flames, fire, destroyed furniture, and a destroyed man, which I think is really, really nice. Um, Yeah, it it shows that they've been through, like, an actual battle together. And it it kind of sort of links towards uh, Samuel Jackson's moment where he sort of said, like, you know, I don't want to be there to clean up the mess and it kind of makes you wonder like what type of states that room's been in before aside from just being covered in blood um <laughs> but it's also kind of kind of like a really grim realization that really every sort of spirit that mike sees or has moments with is just a reflection of the time that the room's won so in many ways the room is kind of flexing it's sort of saying like yeah, you're not really that special. You can be just like these people. Yeah. And look how many there are. And also, we know what to do to make you join them by killing yourself. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's super interesting. I think like it does make me think of those sort of solo performance things that you would get from like a stage performance almost. And the film had a, a pretty interesting uh, production side of it as well. So... Uh, some of the exterior was filmed in one place, some of the interior was filmed in another place, uh, but the actual room itself was custom built. So uh, rather than destroying like an actual room in a hotel, they they built an apartment in a studio, 
and then this thing could do anything like if you ever if you ever check out like the behind the scenes stuff um the whole thing where the water floods in like oh yeah they, they were able to sink the entire room underwater <laughs> and then pull it all back up again like i mean story aside just the the practicality of getting the room to do everything you want yeah. to do but like, you have to That's time that out perfectly that is a lot of water as well. People don't realize, <laughs> I think, uh, a lot of the time, because this is crazy because my dissertation was on um, visual effects and specifically water. Oh, cool. Um, and like how we've moved from doing what they've done in this film, which is literally dump this room in a pool with like gallons and gallons of water to doing like simulations. Hmm. And the, the, hardest, the hardest thing that, that my research led to was the fact that Getting your character to interact being underwater with the water is tremendously difficult. Yeah. And the only way you can do it is um, by actually putting your actor in physical water. Yeah. Uh, a, a great example of when like it didn't work was um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The entire yeah. sequence with Harry under the water looks uh, so unconvincing in the yeah. way that... like. Uh, on several parameters to do with kind of even like down to the color of the water um you can there's the shots where we see like on top of harry like down and we can see the bottom we can see the bottom of the the, the lake but when you pop up you see the lake is like huge and there's <laughs> yeah. no way that, that would be pitch black at the bottom and, yeah. and that's why you only get that stuff when you do it practically so for them yeah. to say you know what we're going to build a room and we're going to lower it into the water and we're going to let it all flood in then we're going to drain it and do another take that it's expensive, yeah, but it gets you what you want, and it, it, you you will never ever match that. And I, I think mm -hmm. that that's a really nice kind of transition into, into the way that horror films nowadays, especially um, huge corporations like Netflix, when they've got absolutely heaps and heaps of cash to throw at um, original original scripts, yeah, it, it, they don't even come close to something like this. Like this film is uh, really really good. You could watch it uh, three, four times and get something different out of it every single time. Absolutely. Whereas you could watch a, a Netflix film and probably you could probably write down what happens in the end in the first ten minutes because it's. Oh yeah, I, I've had uh, I've oh had many gosh. I've had many tangents into these episodes already talking <laughs> about some of the Netflix films that have come out. Um, I've seen some bad Netflix films, like and especially horror. But I make it. This is crazy because. I make a point of watching Netflix horror films because they're bad. Because I like yeah. to sit and laugh about them with my mates. Which is, I don't know, is that the point? Are they? Am I being played here? Like, no, it, it's honestly a shame that that's what it's like these days. And, no, and to be fair, like with 14 away, um, quite a outsider of its time, I guess. You know, quite a lot of the early 2000s in, in terms of horror were all about remakes. And yeah. something I've talked about a million times in this podcast, but like films were just being remade left, right, and center. In your Hills of Eyes, you've got like ugh, like Nightmare on Elm Street, anything you could ever imagine that was once an iconic horror franchise, remade. And, yeah, and probably ruined. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of them were pretty decent. I think it was very hit and miss. I think it definitely depended on who the script was done by and, and who the director was. And obviously, I think part of it is also down how much the studio has faith in what the final product is, because there's been many examples of films, uh, just like the episode that I'm talking for last week, when we're looking at Event Horizon, how films could be decimated because of studios' interference. Uh, interestingly enough, 1408 had three different endings uh, that weren't um, used, <laughs> and... <laughs> It, you know, so much of it gets put on test screenings as well, which, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of test screening. I don't know if these people actually like horror films when they go in or if they just sort of look at it and think, ah, that was a bit shit. Or like, oh, I really like yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, to some degree, you want to cater for the wider spread, but it does make you wonder for sure. But yeah, so like in the early 2000s, anyway, um, a lot of remakes, but 1408 was uh, kind of like a standalone in, in many ways because um, it was taking on an original idea, an original concept, and 
not necessarily original concept. I mean, it was a Stephen King book, but like, uh, it wasn't trying to like be a remake of something that was done in the eighties. It was like, yeah, oh yeah, let's just adapt this book and see what it is. Uh, that's yeah, that's interesting because of the way that the adaptations occur now. Um, mm. I've got a uh, a friend who is a a Netflix and a Marvel director, and mm. he's currently working on. Um, this is a little bit off off topic, but it. He's currently working on um, the live-action One Piece for Netflix, which is cool. six episodes or so. Um, and I had a great chat with him about it. And, you know, the things that he, that he say was... <laughs> Netflix said to him, they said, like... He says, what's my budget? And Netflix just... They don't say anything. They say, just make the film. Like, it, it'll cost what it costs. Um, and to <laughs> me, that's insane. Because... I mean, that kind of makes me angry when I look at the Resident uh-huh. Evil series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 you think about it, and you go like, and he said to me because at the time I was saying like, look, I'm thinking of doing, I'm think I'm interested in visual effects, I think I'm interested in this, and he goes, if if you go into to visual effects and you become really good at visual effects, Netflix or or the big companies they'll hand you a blank check, and you can write whatever you want on it, because they have Wild. so much money now that they can they can just they can, they just make it happen, and I think that. It's it's quite sad, really, because it's nice to see things like 1408 and your other older films like uh, Paranormal Activity, mm. where a lot of these films had had a small budget. Like Paranormal Activity's budget was fifteen thousand pounds, and it grossed over two hundred million dollars, which yeah. is amazing. And it just shows that you actually rare, but you actually don't need a huge budget to tell a good story. Oh, absolutely, just, uh, absolutely idea um but sadly i think now um younger audiences are so um uh what's the word they're, they're so used to seeing a lot of cgi they're so used to seeing like a cool monster or they're so used to seeing some kind of like spaceship or, or interplanetary travel and stuff like that 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 we expect it now that the companies feel like they have to put it in otherwise it'll, it'll bomb because Sadly, is it now about telling a story, or is it now just about satisfying audiences' wants? True. I mean, to be fair, like I think, sorry, not to like uh, jump in. I I think like with the Netflix thing, I think it's very, very interesting because a hundred percent for sure. I think it's no surprise that the subscriptions have been tanking. So. I'm kind of, kind of not surprised that they're throwing money at people to make good content. I just don't know why they've allowed people to make such bad content lately. Um, I've already kicked off about the uh, Resident Evil series. I kicked off about the um, the Black Christmas film that they did. Awful. Uh, I've not yet got around... No, I actually did. I watched The Craft. I was meant to review that. I will review that at some point. The craft sequel that they did, trashing an absolute iconic '90s film. It, it's infuriating. It really, really is. And funny enough, one of the best series I've seen on there in a while, aside from Stranger Things, because that's just a given. Um, mm. Is is the Sandman series? And it's only because Neil oh. Gaiman owns that shit, and he, yeah, he has always had his finger on the button throughout the whole thing it's like if it's if it's not neil's way it never happens and that kind of content i wish would continue into another netflix products Uh, and speaking of horror on netflix by the way um (laughs) there has been such a weird divergence over the last season years to go to like all these really weird international horrors I don't remember. I like international horror. It's good to give some rec- like recognition to, you know, lower economic countries who are trying to make a, a big hit. Yep. But but man, like, we don't need to see five installments of essentially the same thing that we've seen reiterated in the West, just in yeah. a different language. Like, I'd like to see either some more OG content. Or actually, like, spend a bit of dollar and, and give people something good to watch. It almost feels sometimes like Netflix has took the Netflix and chill meme, literally, 
and think, you know what? We actually we don't need to make content that people are gonna watch. <laughs> make whatever the hell we want. You're just gonna make something that people are gonna put in the background, and it's whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> for horror, that makes me sad because there's only a few horror like creators these days that excite me anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Netflix stuff is is bad. Um, so <laughs> I watched the film. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, a Netflix original called in the tall grass my god that's <laughs> got to be the worst film i've ever seen oh, worst horror film i've ever seen it in the tall grass it's essentially i can tell you probably about less than two sentences it's about a field of tall grass that people go into and it becomes an inescapable maze because of a rock in the middle of it that's it wow and the rock in the middle is never explained. You don't know why it's there. You don't get it. <laughs> but the worst part is that it's one of those films that you can kind of think logically about and say, like, well, why didn't someone just, like, get on somebody else's shoulders? Or, like, why didn't they just, <laughs> you know, make, like, a little flag and, like, put it above the grass so their mates could see where they were? There's so much about it that you just that you just can't accept as a viewer because you've been put in that in that scenario i think a great a great thing that um that horror plays on is is our imagination mm-hmm. um but when you're trying to make something that a lot of people have been in scary yeah all of their experiences tie into it and you kind of end up sitting there going like well i've been in a field with those maze and stuff <laughs> it's it's almost like they watch the uh, it's almost like they watch the michael bates head talk where it's just like <laughs> oh you just have a box right and there's your mystery for half the film. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's funny you should mention that, though, because I've talked about this very similar concept, actually, in a lot of films that I've covered um, about technology. It's kind of weird that um, a lot of horror films have kind of leaned heavier into like technology as being a part of the film. And it's extremely difficult to make technology scary because people yeah. use it on a daily basis. Like... Mm-hmm. A film like Countdown, there's no way that film can instill fear to someone because nobody's afraid of the phone. It doesn't matter if your phone is cursed or not. Like, <laughs> nobody's scared of a phone. Um, it's kind of... I really liked... Um, oh, what's the film called now? It was... Uh, there was one called... Uh, was it something... It was like Friend something? Was it like Friend Request or something? I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The like one a, where they film like entirely on Skype or something. Yeah. The first film, I really digged that. The second film, like, it got really ridiculous. And, and suddenly I started to think, you know what? I'm actually not scared of a Skype call. <laughs> Except yeah. from, like, at work, because I want to be left alone. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. It's but, like five, five to five and you get the Skype call. You're ah! <laughs> Literally. Um... It's, it's a weird theme that they keep running with. It's it's very bizarre. It, it, I don't. You probably haven't seen like the recent Scream, but you know they do it a little bit, but they still stick to r- like retro, like corded phones, or like at oh, least yeah. at least wireless phones. Sometimes like it, there's still something very like uh, nostalgic about that. That can prompt some fears because you you start pulling back in time to when people feel a bit more scared of things because they're younger do you know what i mean whereas like yeah. these days like there's nothing scary about an iphone there's just no hollywood studio in this country or any country in the world who will ever make me afraid of an iphone it, it just ain't gonna happen <laughs> it is it is weird isn't it because you could substitute that for, for literally anything you use on a day-to-day basis uh, you yeah. can make a film about a fridge Absolutely, it's like a fridge that like eats people. And you get, oh, I'm pretty, um, pretty sure they did in the uh, in the eighties as well because they used to do things like where a car was alive and it would like kidnap people and eat them. I don't know. Um, and you get in it and it would drive you back to work. <laughs> 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 like I, I think there will always be those staple things that people are scared of, always oh, yeah. because uh, and it'd be a big big things like the darkness, um, clowns. Mm. Uh, really big one is the unknown people are really really scared of the unknown that's that's it because because you can't you can't visualize something that's unknown and and that's 
the whole, that mm-hmm. is tension that is suspense in a nutshell you watch any film and if you were to write it down you, you could see that the 80 percent of the film is is just building tension oh yeah. because it's only <laughs> there's one big climax to a film and in horror films the more kind of like jump scares that you put in or the more kind of like stingers and, and impacts that you throw in the less impactful they are it's like it's like paracetamol the more you take the less the less it works so yeah. to have to battle with uh, you know hundreds of years worth of films um and still keep it scary it's a it's a difficult job you know like yeah. you said, there aren't a lot of, of huge horror creators anymore because it's hard, and I think yeah, and, it's something we can focus on the money stuff, don't we? It's kind of like oh, well, especially like in um, you see the thing is like with Hollywood usually is like, uh, horror is like a gateway into film, so most like film directors, one of the first things they do is they'll draft a script, they'll spend decades of their life perfecting this perfect script, and then basically, the Hollywood, you know executives will think oh yeah that's really good let's make it into a film and they'll make it and the film does really really well it's like great we'll get you more gigs and then they get stuck into horror for like a few years and then they'll slowly branch out into other things and then that's where the big thing comes from and then they'll only ever be a producer on horror films afterwards like a really good example of this is like james Wan. i mean he came and he made saw he went all the way through like the insidious films the conjuring films i mean this podcast is named after insidious so like he is one of my idols right now and he was always looking for that next big thing he got fast and furious boom there you go you can direct all the aquaman films you can do whatever the hell you want we'll pay you all the money to just make mainstream hollywood films and that's where your big money is and it it's what makes i think horror really fun and interesting because you get a lot of people where this is their first big break this is the ideas that they've been working on for decades, and you'll get some really interesting stuff. And sometimes you get some shit. So, there's you know. always shit. You've just got to find yeah. the wood in the in the trees because it's, you know, I think anybody does it. Anybody can sit down and write and start to write and and think, okay, I'm I'm gonna write a script. I'm gonna write the next the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And you do it, and you sleep on it. You come back and go, all at a tosh. <laughs> <laughs> How much time did I waste on that? Oh well, but it. It is. It it is difficult writing stuff that one hasn't been done before. Mm-hmm. Two, I guess, doesn't pay homage to to standard like filmmaking techniques. Um, mm. And also, it's difficult to find new things. We are so used to um, seeing things in a certain way that that some uh, when we try stuff that's new. Um, some people either they hate it, they go, "Oh, this is terrible because of this," and mm. I think that when I was speaking to uh, Mark, the the guy directing One Piece, and he said um, he had two new lenses for cameras made because we are so used to seeing such a specific field of view through our lenses mm. that the he has he went to Germany and he said, "Look, we need we need some cameras because what he wanted was." that classic anime like huge face huge face in the camera nice close look but to see <laughs> oh god just think of like just think of the guy who does the train videos yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like that francis what's his name and uh but what he needed was because we're so close up in 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 his face our, our actor's face how are we how are we building the world you know of course we yeah. are establishing charts blah 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 blah, blah. um but no, how are we building the world around our character's dialogue? So he went to Germany and he had two brand new lenses made. I think they were about $200,000 each, um, which captured more than your standard 180-degree peripheral vision, which is crazy. No one's done that's, that before. You, that's you've never seen a, a, a lens like it. It's, it's, and, and I said to him, I was like, how did you know it would work? And he went, I didn't. <laughs> he said, I didn't. The, the, the first time they tested the lenses was on the first shooting day. And they worked, thankfully, of course. You know, especially you're paying two hundred grand for them, but it's it's that risk, and it's and it's going into cinema and going like, okay, well, I want to make something. How can I make it? How can I make it better? You know, how how can I take what people have already done? Because that's what everything in life is. It's not so philosophical now, but everything (laughs) in life is building on something that somebody else has done. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the kind of one of the big fears, in, in not just film, but like a lot of things lately, which is 
was the fear that there's no new ideas anymore. People just remake the yeah. same shit. And luckily, we'll always have a few films that do break the mold, and there are like some outsiders. It's kind of weird to talk because a lot of those stuff get branded as like highbrow, especially in horror, because so much of horror has been redone and redone. To get something that's truly unique, it's it's cost like highbrow horror. This is like, you know, this is horror for the educated, when actually it's just someone with an actual new idea. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and. and- that's it because you'll always have the critics that be like oh this is awful this doesn't pay tribute to what it should be and it's like well what should it be then should we be remaking the same films because the likelihood is if you ask them that they go no we want to advance cinema we want it to become better and it's like well we can't have it both ways do we need another final destination film after the final (laughs) destination film Am I, am no. I I don't know what's gonna happen in Final Destination, like seventy two. It's like it's like it's like two thousand and like thirty eight and we're like I don't know, thirty films in Final Destination. And you're just thinking Is this not old now? <laughs> it was old decades ago. At this point. Ways to kill people. It's like maybe maybe at that point dying to a smartphone will be fearful. Probably. maybe they will crack them all. Uh <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, so Bit of a tangent there, but like pretty good fun. Uh, so yeah, in terms of uh, fourteen oh eight, is an, oh, that old thing <laughs> is an outlier in a lot of horror cinema, especially for the era that it came out. Um, not something that you probably would have watched on your own without me recommending. Do you yeah, regret no. it? No, no, absolutely, uh, no, absolutely don't regret it. Watching it, it was it was really refreshing, really refreshing, and I think that that's what we need. It's it's nice to go back and say. Uh, oh, this is a good film. Watch this. Watch this. Because mm. the livelihood is the older stuff is always going to be far more innovative, far more interesting, mm. um, and far more void of that strange commercial framework. And like we spoke about that, you know, the the strange kind of GCSE drama performance that it almost uh, mirrors, done really nicely, done really professionally. It, it lets you connect with uh, this character, Mike Emerson. And, mm. you know, it, 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 it's a really, really easy watch, but equally, you could watch it again and again and get something different from it every time. Absolutely. It, it's, such, it's such a world ride of things that happen yeah. that, you know, even if you've watched it a bunch of times, like it, it's still fun to just sit through and watch the craziness unfold and you know there's enough substance there where there's some deeper meaning if you really want to dig for it i don't know how much of that stuff is really cemented especially because there was alternative endings which implied different things and none of those endings match the book anyway which is always the case when there's book adaptations you know like yeah we'll adapt the story but i want my own ending and yeah i guess a lot of things it is completely open to your interpretations and especially yeah. stuff like this where we're not explicitly told um true this kind of thing is is like to me the opening of the elevators uh, to somebody else could have just been like oh why are the elevators there like is he on the wrong floor but like to me i was like oh my god it's the room it's the hotel talk to him <laughs> i loved it but because I, I, I literally remember at that point, like I'm like yelling at my TV. I'm like, no, get in the elevator. I'm like, don't go to the room. And it's like, no. But you know, I don't I know. Love that. Maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe I love that enthusiasm. I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> it's so good. It's nice. It's, it's. I often do find myself watching. Um, it's weird. I'll, I'll be watching a film in 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 almost like t- twice at the same time. I'll be going like, this is a great story. I love the character. I love what's happening or, or what's going to happen next. And then the, the other half of me will be going like, that's a nice shot. How, how did they do that bit? Is that visual? <laughs> is that practical? Where did they get all the water? Like, and it's always like crazy, crazy, crazy when I'm watching a film. It's never like, I'm oh, the yeah. guy that, that talks to people during a film. I'm like, oh, did you see that? Do you know how they did that? Uh, like, have you seen the video? And they're like, shut the fuck up. I want to see the film. <laughs> yeah, literally. I, I was the same when I was in college. One of the first things we said in one of our very, very first classes I did film studies and they said, uh, just so you know that you'll never watch a film the same way ever again. Yeah. And I was like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then we dissected Halloween and uh, I can't look at that film anymore. 
but it, it's still great. I, I love watching Halloween. Halloween will be coming near Halloween. <laughs> Just not yet, because it's way too early. Uh, Halloween. But yeah, I'll be covering Halloween. Uh, Halloween. Uh, Halloween 2018. Um, fuck the one that came after it. Halloween Kills, yeah. And then Halloween Ends will be the last one in October that I'll cover, provided I can go and see it and review it in time. So that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, so if anyone wants to check that out, then obviously check out the links that are in the episode. You can check out social medias. I'll post all the updates of things that I'm posting. Uh, usually on the episodes, I like to rate a film out of five. What would you give 1408 out of five? Uh, out of five? I'm going to give it a solid four. Mm-hmm. The reasons why it's not five. Okay. I'll tell you what the, the good stuff is. The, uh, I think, you know, I've already outlined why I think it's great. I think I think I love its originality. I love um I love the characters and I love I love the way that we interact with the room and we're not playing on the kind of uh cliche scares and fears and jump scares. Mm. It's only two things. Number one, uh it's not an original ending of the book. Which is really sad, but True. I just think that's an L. <laughs> and the second thing, the second thing now is we spoke about technology not being scary. There is a scene in this where he is talking on a Skype call. Oh, but God, it's, like, yeah. it, it's him. Not going to lie. Yeah. Not, not happy with that bit. Not yeah, that is one part of the film that it definitely feels so awkward to look back to now especially because it was on like windows 98 or some shit but yeah yeah you look at it now and it's like oh gosh it's hard isn't it because like (laughs) it's hard because technology is so engrossed into people's life yeah you you couldn't look at a film back then without thinking (laughs) you know I've, i've actually mentioned this exact thing when i've looked at um when i've covered different films in the past which is like you can't help but look at like an older version of an iPhone or an older version of, you know, a computer software, and you think, "Oh yeah, that's that's uh, Microsoft." It's ninety-eight. It's, it's, it's like, funny that, isn't it? Because we we can accept like this is set in Victorian times, or like, <laughs> "Oh, this is clearly like the eighteen hundreds." But as soon as you see Windows ninety-eight, oh no, yeah, no, it just pulls you straight over. It. It, it's just, I think, it, I think it's too like. In the uncanny valley, where it's like, yeah, it's in the past, yeah. but actually, it's a little bit too recent. <laughs> like, I don't it's think. Funny. Yeah, like I was, I was, I was alive. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, but if it, if you can look past the non-book ending, and if you can look past the classic laptop scene, then I'm sure anyone could find it in their hearts to give this film a really good rating. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd give this like, I'd say like a three and a half. I think, unfortunately. It does fall victim to rewatchability. I think you can get something out of it if you rewatch it, but eventually, like, there's not a lot of magic there. It's not a timeless film, for sure. Yeah, but it has got a lot there for a first time watch, and probably a second time watch. You know, and I think if I was gonna push ratings up to like a four to the fives, I'd be like, this has to be, this has to be Alien. This has to be like rewatchable forever yeah. for all times and doesn't mean that a film is bad it's just not everything's a masterpiece that's how it is uh well yeah thank you very much for coming on to this episode hopefully we can have you back in the future that'd be fun absolutely i love i love talking about stuff especially oh, I, films i just want to throw like i love when someone has like an, like an unformed mind of horror <laughs> like i just want to throw yeah. films at you and be like watch this because it'll blow your mind <laughs> this is so funny because like for someone that studied this kind of thing and like also someone that has a huge musical background i'm so terrible for films and i'm so terrible for music someone <laughs> the, the classic classic thing is like someone will play a song and they'll go like oh you know this song i'll go like i don't and they'll go no 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 you'll know it you'll know it just listen and then it gets to like the bit and they give me like the wide eyes and i go like no no i don't know it so oh, i'm totally open totally open send me more and i'll watch them um and we'll definitely uh, reconvene because I love talking about stuff like this. And Beautiful. It's great. It's great. So, yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been brilliant. Smashing. Well, thank you uh, all for listening as well. Uh, like I said before, check out the links below. You can let me know on any social medias if you want to talk about any films that we've covered. Give your opinions or whatever. If not, it's fine. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, you can rate out of five. That'd be cool. For now, I'll see you all in the next episode.